And as I get ready, I want uh, our servers to come forward and do what we now do regularly around here, which is kind of a reverse offering. So you'll be getting a plate, and uh, we just want you to take one when you have one, because I have a story for you. By the way, how many of you still have your coins? You still have your coins? Deb, Kevin, did I give you? I didn't give you coins, did I? Okay. I don't know what you do. I already have a bag, but thank you. I don't know what you do at your church back in the Joplin area, but you, yeah, we, we, we give out money here. Just a reminder of God's, God's amazing generosity. If anybody else wants a coin, I want you to have a few extra, and so would love to, uh, would love to give those out. Um, it's Skittle Sunday. Don't you love Skittle Sunday? Some of you are going, I thought we stopped doing this. Some of you are going, I have no idea why they're handing out Skittles. Um, it's because I want to tell you a story, and there's no better way to appreciate a story than with a bag of Skittles, okay? So let me tell you something known as the parable of the Skittles, parable of the Skittles. There once was a, a father, a very loving, generous, kind father of three boys, and this father decided, out of his love and out of his, just his, his, his generosity to the extreme, he decided to take his, his boys to an Oklahoma State basketball game, okay? Go Cowboys. And so they go down to the concession stand, and he says to his boys, what would you like to eat? And they said, we want Skittles. Could you buy us some Skittles? Please, can we have some Skittles? And so the dad, out of his generosity, out of his kindness, he just says, yes, I would like to do this. And so he buys each of the boys their own bags of Skittles, and then they go up and they sit down. The game has started, but it's early in the game. Everybody's still standing. Oklahoma State hasn't scored yet, okay? And so we're waiting, and the dad turns to his youngest son, who's right beside him, and the dad says to his son, Son, would you share some of your Skittles with me, please? Can I have some? And the little one looked at him and said, Dad, I really would like to share these Skittles with you, but the truth is I like the Skittles more than you like the Skittles. I mean, dude, I mean, I, I, mean, I was the one, I was all excited about having them, and so really, Dad, I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not going to share any with you because I really, really, really love Skittles. And the dad looked at his son and just thought, who raised you, you know? <laughs> Deeply disappointed, but wasn't going to do anything, he just let it go. So he leans over to his middle son and he says, son, um, would you mind sharing some of your Skittles with me? And the middle son looked up at the clock and it was still early in the game. Everybody had just sat down and early in the game. And the son looked at the bag of Skittles and at the clock and said, dad, it's going to be a long game. And, and here's my concern, dad. You know, these are thoughtful children. Here's my concern, Dad. My concern is, is that I'm going to run out of Skittles before the game's over. And then what am I going to do? Like, I really need to kind of pace this out. And if I give you Skittles now, what happens when I run out of Skittles? What am I going to do? I can't run out of Skittles, Dad. So if you don't mind, like maybe at the end of the game, maybe when it's all said and done, maybe I'll have a few for you. But I really need to pace myself, Dad. So I can't give you any Skittles. Disappointed, he finally turns to his oldest son, thinking, you know, he's spent the most time with me. He says to his oldest son, son, would, would you mind sharing your Skittles with me? And the oldest son, like oldest sons, can be very nostalgic. They said, you know, Dad, first of all, I want to thank you for the Skittles. Um, I, I want to just truly be, 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 be grateful for that. But these Skittles just, they mean a lot to me. And uh, I, I'm not even going to open them during this game. I'm just going to kind of keep them and hold on to them as kind of this remembrance of, of, of our time together, Dad. And the dad's just hauling one of some Skittles, dude. But the son decided, I'm going to hold on to these just in remembrance. And the dad spoke up. 
And the dad said, I want you to recognize that this problem that you have is not because of your love of Skittles or the length of the game or how nostalgic you might be. Your problem isn't even that you're greedy. Your problem is, is that you don't know me. Like you, you really don't know who I am. Because if you really knew me, you wouldn't have responded the way that you responded. First of all, you need to know this. Let me remind you, I gave you those Skittles. <laughs> You didn't earn these Skittles. I gave them to you. That bag was a gift that came from the overflow of my generosity. Do you understand me? Do you understand? Like, I gave you these things. And then for you to just uh, hold on and clutch and just, you don't understand. Just, they're for me. The, The second thing you don't understand is I'm a lot bigger than you. And if I really want those Skittles, I could take them back at any time. You do know that, right? Like, I can take those back. There's nothing to stop me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gracious. But I think you've forgotten who I am. He said, the last thing that you just have no idea is you have no idea how I could just rain down upon your life more Skittles than you would have any idea to do with. Like, you, you, you thought that one bag was all I could get? Like you really, like literally, I could drown you in Skittles, sons. And you're holding on, you're clutching on to that one bag like somehow that's it. So it's good to remember everything comes from the father of Skittles. <laughs> he can take them back at any moment. He can take them back at any moment. And he can just shower us with more than we could ever imagine at any time. Do you believe that? And therefore, we should share our Skittles. Well, we are wrapping up this series where we are talking about generosity speaking to us. We, we, we heard the words of Jesus when he said, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to trust me. I want you to, to, to look at who I am. I want you to invest in me. I want you to think about the kingdom. I want you to, to, to look at, at my example, and I want you to model my example because that's what this series is really all about. The end of any sermon series is, is kind of a, a very reflective time for me because I have to ask this question of me personally, of my family, and then I ask it of us as a church. I wrestle with this. Like, are we any more, whatever the topic is, I say this at the end of every series, are we any more, whatever the topic is, than we were when we started this topic? Am I any more, and this is generous, than I was when we started this. Now, this is a shorter series. Matthew's taking us a long time, right? Hopefully, we're a lot more like Jesus over a year and a half, like two years, almost it took us to go through the gospel of Matthew. But, like, are we any more generous? I don't know if you've thought about this. It's been four weeks. We heard from Jesus. Paul helped us. Kind of, the the words on these walls are people who invested in us. And then that was a tearful Sunday, wasn't it? I heard from a lot of people, man, I just, I was overwhelmed with emotion as I thought about those people that loved me so much and loved God so much that they invested in me and with tears streaming down people's faces, they were writing the names of people. I had a a young woman come up after first service and she wrote on one of these walls somewhere the name of her son who had passed away and she was talking about how much he invested in her right near the end of his life and how much it meant to her and those voices speak to us. Paul our Paul, not the Apostle Paul, um, he was, was describing that these people might say to us, listen, like, I don't, really, um, I don't really know what I did. I was just doing something very natural. 
I was doing something that I saw exemplified in Jesus Christ. And, and these voices inspire us, do they not? To become more generous? That's, that's our prayer. Is that we look at lives past that were dedicated to Jesus and we see their faithfulness to God and more importantly, God's faithfulness to them. And it inspires us to share our Skittles. It inspires us to be generous in all things. And then last week, Drew spoke, and he really challenged us to think what our, what our missionaries might feel, or even maybe like we might want to think like our mission field might say to us. He, he took those words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, and he was describing how the Apostle Paul made some very clear statements about why it is so critical that for the glory of God and for the expanse of the kingdom, we generously give, trusting in God, trusting in Jesus Christ to be the sustainer of our generosity. And these are great ideas, but I guess I'm just going to ask, like after four weeks, like has anything changed in your life? Because today we're going to be talking about the next generation. What would the next generation say to us? What would your grandkids say to you about the opportunities that you've had to be generous? about the opportunities that you've made, you, you succeeded in that moment, and then the opportunities that you failed, and the opportunities that you, if, if someone could come to us from the future and say, hey, can I just share with you something? I want to just let you know how much that meant to me. I mean, we could sit here and describe, wouldn't it be cool if they could come? I bet you they would say thank you. There was even a song about that a number of years ago, thank you for giving to the Lord. And the whole song is just describing, depicting these people at the end of time, running up to people who gave sacrificially and saying, thank you so much. Mine was a life that was changed. But in full disclosure, I guess I hope my grandkids say thank you. Like, we're about to take up an offering at the end of this service for a ministry in Japan. And I, I hope that it's, I mean, it'd be really, really cool, right? If people run up to us at heaven and say, thank you so much for giving. Like, mine was a life that was changed. If that song were true, which I believe it is, but wouldn't that be incredible? But the truth is, we really don't know what they would say. I have to just hope that my grandchildren somehow know enough to value my generosity more importantly, value the kingdom that we gave to. More so that they would value Jesus. There, there was a, 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 when Jay was giving that video last week, for those of you that were here, it caught me. Um, you guys remember the guys on the bikes driving by while Jay was talking? I guess I was thinking about this week's sermon and um, it looks like a, a guy, I think, but that gentleman, whoever, riding by on the bike, had no idea what was happening. No idea. Jay, actually, the guy, you know, the Jay, <laughs> he has no idea we're doing this. Don't tell him, okay? He has no idea we're taking up this offering yet. We want to surprise them with it. But I could, couldn't help but think about the, the, the few people that rode by on the bikes. They had, had absolutely no idea. What would he say to you? I mean, I would hope that he would say, thank you so much for giving I love it when stories have a nice, where they're, where they're wrapped up neatly like that, but the real truth is I have no idea. I have no idea where this offering is going to go. I have no idea where these Skittles are going to end up. And in full disclosure, I, I think it's, that, that's why the words of Jesus matter most. Because in our calculating day, and even in the name of good stewardship, 
There's a section of scripture found at the end of Ecclesiastes that says something very bold and brash. Cast your bread upon the waters. Meaning, like, be reckless. Be, be incredibly generous and trust God to return. If you knew that that young man was going to give his life to Jesus Christ, would you not give? Would you not give like crazy? What in hopes that that young man might know? What about the future generation that doesn't even know to speak? Who will speak for them? And the answer is Jesus has already spoken. He's already given us this wonderful challenge, this wonderful call to be like him so that generosity then just naturally flows from our lives. There is something that C.S. Lewis writes in, in the book um, Mere Christianity that is a very helpful lesson for us on this issue of generosity and it can creep into other areas as well. It's known as the solidarity principle and what C.S. Lewis argues in his book is this, is that when we are whatever in one area of life, that we are um, such an integrated person, we are integrated beings for the most part, that, that that one attribute will slowly begin to creep into all other areas of life. Sometimes I want to call it the Jared principle. I was a professor at the time, and Jared walked up, and he had told me it was his third time taking this preaching class. He said, now, it's my first time with you, but I've taken it twice before, and I failed both times. But I promise you, Mr. Johnson, I can pass this class. I said to him, there is absolutely no evidence proving your point, by the way. <laughs> but hey, we'll give you a try. <laughs> And so Jared decided that, you know, here he is in this class. I, I bet you he would be, like, good on his feet. I bet you he could share passionately some things about Jesus. But it was the discipline of the class that really kind of caught him. There was a number of sermons that were going to be due. And I noticed that Jared wasn't getting them in. And so it concerned me. And so I called him. Jared, can we meet? And we met. And I said, hey, what's going on? I just, I mean, it looks like you're on track to fail this class for the third time. And that concerns me. You told me you could pass this class. I just don't see it. And he said to me, well, Mr. Johnson, here's the problem. I've got this ministry up in the Kansas City area, and the truth is, is that I'm spending all of my time and all of my energy in my ministry. I'm dedicated. I'm on time. I'm working really, really hard. School is suffering because I'm such a devoted and dedicated person. I bought it. I did. It, it, I ignored what C.S. Lewis said, that that, that kind of um, dedication really is either going to be consistent or it's going to be somewhere and then it's going to creep into other areas. I ignored his advice and I just believed him, um, believed Jared, that in the end it was just his schoolwork that was suffering. But everywhere else in his life he was this amazingly dedicated and committed person. But halfway through the semester I get a call from one of the elders at this church so, hey, is there any, any opportunity for, for us to talk? I'd like to speak with you about uh, our youth minister. You might know who he is. It's Jared. I said, oh, yes. I mean, I, I, I really do. I love Jared. Jared, he's a great guy. Um, uh, I, 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 here's, here's what the elder was saying. Our concern is that things aren't really getting done here like they should be getting done. And I said, really? <laughs> I was shocked. I said, because... He, this is what the elder said. He's telling us that all of his time and all of his energy is being devoted where? In school. Like I'm just, it's, it's like sucking all of my time and that's the reason why I'm not getting stuff done in my ministry. And I said, that's very interesting because he was telling us the, I, I really believe in Jared's mind he, he didn't understand what he was doing. I, maybe he's too, too stretched. I have no idea. But 
I'll never forget the kind of the real life example that one area of life begins to creep into all areas of life. That's just true. And just in a matter of time, laziness in one area of your life, just give it enough time, will creep into other areas of your life. Selfishness in one area of your life doesn't just stay there. It will creep into other areas of your life. Gentleness in one area of your life will slowly creep into the more you are a genuinely gentle person, not a strategically gentle person, not a calculating gentle person, but truly a gentle person will begin to invade and take over your entire life. That's what we're talking about when we say we want to be generous Christ followers. Not just generous with our money. Not just general with, generous with our dollars. But generous people. So that that generosity as we look at Jesus Christ and his example. And his interest and his focus. When we see that modeled, it stirs up something within us that causes us to be generous with our love. And now all of a sudden, instead of just loving those who love me, my love can extend. Why? Because I'm learning how to not be calculatingly loving Valentine's Day. You calculate who you love then. I'm not asking you to get me a Hallmark card. Love me. Forgive me. Not calculating. Not measuring it out and trying to figure out where and why and if they're worth it, but just generously forgiving. Generously patient. Generous. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What, what, I, what I so pray for this church is that we don't become a bunch of very committed and calculated rich Christians. That brings God no glory. It brings him no honor. But as we look at not what we have, but what we have in Christ, when we look at the opportunity in the mission fields around us, and then we look at Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, then all of a sudden the natural response is worship. And the natural response is generosity. That is why you, you, you give me somebody that's having a real hard time forgiving someone and I'm telling you they're not fully reflecting on the forgiveness they've received in Jesus Christ. When someone just can't be kind or gentle, I promise you, they do not understand the gentleness that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon them. And that is why we can easily say, I thought Drew said it great last week. Generosity is so much more than our money. But it's not less. It affects, it infects every area of our lives. So then I have to ask myself this question. So why am I not more generous? Why am I not more generous? And, and the reason is, is that because I'm listening not to the voice of Jesus, not to the voice of those who invested in me, not to the voice of our mission field, not to even the voices of future generations I'm listening to the voice of fear. Jeremiah Clary moved to Oklahoma panhandle under the promise of bountiful crops and endless fertile fields of wheat. And for a while, the story goes, that what they found there was actually true. But then 1931 hit and the rain stopped. 
More than 100 million acres of hopes and dreams just stood there drying and baking in the sun. That relentless sun then radiated down and exposed that soil and it turned the entire region into a vast clay oven. This unusual combination of earth, wind, and fire created the resemblance of an apocalyptic wasteland. Clouds of dirt then rose miles into the sky, leveling everything in sight. It had taken thousands of years just for an inch of topsoil to accumulate, and it was blown away in a matter of minutes. The drought would drag on for a decade. As much as, this is amazing, as much as eight tons of soil per acre were lost every year. And farmers, just like Jeremiah Clary, they kept thinking that surely the rains would return soon. In an area that touched five states, more than 850 million tons of land were lost. The term dust bowl was coined. And Jeremiah Clary, every year, had to ask the same question. Do I bother risking the seed that I have in that field? And fear crept in. What if the seed that I sow dries up and dies? What if this is the last seed that I'm going to see? What if? And the what ifs just keep coming. Now listen, Jeremiah Clary wasn't greedy. He wasn't selfish. He was just afraid. And I promise you that in this room, when opportunities come, when all of a sudden there, there is that, that, that incredible uh, time of, of opportunity for us to give, many of us in this room are literally gripped by fear. Wanting to do more, incapable of following through. Wanting to forgive more, afraid of being hurt. Wanting to offer a kind word when an angry word was said and absolutely fear that it would just be wasted. Fear is what keeps us from being generous. What else holds us back? How about the voice of dissatisfaction? The Bible talks about contentment, but what about the voice of dissatisfaction? Um, the great Rockefeller family, J.D. Rockefeller, was asked one time, how much money is enough for you? And you know what his answer was? Just one more dollar. And one of the reasons why I think generosity, just there really is a difference between just rich people giving money and having a generous heart is because of this dissatisfaction that we have in life, believing that somehow we just need to acquire more, just one more, just one more, just one more. And believing that when that one more was finally reached, then satisfaction would come, and then I could then move on with the rest of my life. I've been there. I didn't really know it as the voice of dissatisfaction, but I kept believing, contrary to the evidence, that the more I got, the more generous I would be. And it just doesn't work that way. I read a really interesting book, Lessons I Learned on Giving, um, from a gentleman that was looking at and kind of as it was at the Harvard Business School at the time. And what they've actually found is not only do Christians not really give very generously, but actually found that those who are the most generous are the ones who make the least. 
Why? Because so many people in that middle income bracket just have a hard time letting go. They're kind of getting there, but they just one more, just one more. And it paralyzes them. So I guess I could ask you what, you know, what, what is your motivation to give? But I think sometimes it's good to ask, what's your motivation to not give? What's your motivation to not be generous? Is it fear? Is it this idea of, of just not being satisfied and just clamoring and always searching for more? One of my favorite parables is the story of the, and maybe one of the reasons why I love it so much is because uh, it kind of creates a little bit of um, recognition, maybe even a little bit of, uh, of fear in me, because it would be something I think I might do. And I'm so grateful that Jesus like, speaks so clearly into a thought process that I have, but it's the story of the gentleman who wants to build bigger barns. He looks at all that God has given him. And he sees all of this abundance in his own life. And his answer before he goes to bed, his, here's his plan. You know, after God has given me this much, you know what I should do? I think I should build a bigger barn. And doesn't that make sense? Isn't that advice you would give him? Look at all that God has given you. Look at it all. I mean, why would you not build a bigger barn? Because if you build a bigger barn, then God will give you more. Add a prayer of Jabez onto that thing, right? A misinterpretation of the prayer of Jabez. And what is it? It's this, here's what Jesus says. You fool. Here's what you don't know. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And then what's going to happen to all of your barns? This incredible opportunity to give, incredible opportunity to be generous, and all he could think about was building a bigger barn. The voice of dissatisfaction. Somehow I could get over the fence and get into that green pasture then. No, now. How about the voice of excitement? See, what's really interesting is, is that I, when, when you talk about money, um, particularly, it's interesting how it just piques people's excitement. How many of you have dreamed about what you would do with a million dollars? Raise your hand. Anybody? What would you do with a million dollars? You know what I would do if I had a million dollars? You know what I would do if I had a, if I had a million dollars? You know what I'd do if I'd have a million dollars? And then it began to, I began to realize that if you make, your family, okay, if the two of you make $50,000 a year and you work for 20 years, I mean, do the math. See, the, the real question that God shows me is not what would I do with a million dollars? But what have you done with the million dollars? Some of you, maybe even more, that I've already given you. Were you generous? What are you waiting for? See, what happens is we can get so excited about a couple of coins in our pocket. It's been, I mean, I've loved the last, not only have I loved hearing Drew and Paul preach, that was enjoyable. I love just kind of walking around the services and handing out money. It's really interesting to see people's attitude about money. It reminded me the time I was speaking at a conference where a guy comes out dressed like the devil, walking around handing dollar bills, and these high school students were just clamoring to take them from this guy. And I'm going, he's dressed like the devil, like a, probably a terrible picture of what the devil would look like, but it was clearly the devil, and he's handing out money, and these kids are like, hey, Mr. Devil, give me some more money. And I'm just thinking, this is crazy. 
But it is. I mean, I've been walking. I, I, I caught a, a, a mom and her little son out in the hallway just last Sunday, and I just sat in there, and I, I had a little gold coin in my hand, and the little boy, can I have that? And he, he grabbed it, and he took it, and I just, I had a bunch. I'm like, you want another one? Yes, another one. And just the excitement in his eyes. How many do you want? All of them. How many do you have? Go get me more. So I took a picture of him, posted it on Facebook, said this is the most, no, I didn't do that. Actually, I'm probably a lot like that. Can it get you, listen, can it get you excited? Weirdly enough, sometimes that excitement just keeps me from being generous. All my hopes and dreams of what I want to do with it instead of trusting it in the hands of Jesus. Well, here's what the Bible says. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Enough of, enough of our problems. I want to read this to you. I don't really have a lot of commentary. It, it, it just speaks so clearly for itself. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says about skittles and dollar coins and mission trips to Japan and offerings thereafter. Actually, Paul is writing these words to Timothy who is trying to um, deal with some church issues in a city called Ephesus. He's there to establish a leadership, to appoint elders, to continue the mission of the church. And Paul says to Timothy, look at this, but godliness, that's holiness, being like Jesus, being like God resembling him in all things. And, and the one thing I just really am like incredibly convicted of on this series, if there's, ever, if there's one attribute that describes all of God's other attributes, right? It can be that concept of just like in excess, generous. Like God is so much of that in all of these areas. Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness. He is rich in this. He is generous in sharing this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. See, that takes care of the excitement. That takes care of the dissatisfaction, always wanting more. It, it takes care of the fear that this could be the last I could ever have. Being truly content in being like Jesus Christ is, is the greatest treasure that exists in this world. And the world doesn't see that enough in us. It sees us acting like that little boy, how much do you want? All that you have. Give me more. No, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says, verse seven, for we brought, nothing, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, even though this is what we want to have, even though this is what we pray for our children. We just pray that they will never have a need that won't be met. Not a God that will provide every need, but they'll never have a need. One thing I want to do with my children is to never have them in need. And then to train them so they will learn to be independent people, not in need of anything. That's so what I want for my children. 
He, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. See, that's that solidarity principle. It is that love of money, it is that love of self that begins to creep into every other area. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What, what Paul is warning of here is that it's, it's, first of all, it comes from within here. Money's not the problem. It comes from within here. And I, I really believe that is why generously giving of everything, time, energy, resources, just being generous people fights this natural craving that we have. What, 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 what kills something is input only. What a truly living organism does is it takes in, inhale, exhale. To only breathe in, to only eat, to only take in calories and never spend any is unhealthy. And so God gives us opportunities to be generous, opportunities to be kind, opportunities to forgive, opportunities constantly to demonstrate who he is and what he has done for us and now what he is doing through us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, jump down to verse 17. Paul says, as for the rich of this present age, because uh, rich people love to be told what to do. Paul tells Timothy to do this. Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works. To be what? What does the text say? What are we to be? We are to be, where is it? Not to be, said, their hopes are their riches, but on God who richly provides everything to enjoy. Where is it? Where's the what verse am I looking at here? Is it the next verse? Verse 18, Blaine. There we go. They are to be, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be what? To be generous. Like this is what God has called us to be. It's not an option. It's not something we delay till next time. It's no. We are to be generous and we are ready to share the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Interestingly, Paul says earlier in the text, we can take nothing with us and yet he seemly, seems, seems to argue, just like Jesus, that we can send it on ahead. This series has been good for me in a number of ways. One of the things that has really caused me to do is to think about the story of us. I, I really do need to apologize. I, I know that this church existed before I got here, but you'll hear me say a lot. You know, for the last 13 years, and that's because that's my only memory. My only memory here has been for the last 13 years, but this series has caused me to just stop and to think about those that gave and those that served and those that loved those that led, those that stuck in difficult marriages, those who kept coming and worshiping and teaching Sunday school so that in 2003, 2004, my wife and our three little boys, which have now all grown up, could come be a part of this incredible family. And I'm just so grateful that they did. I'm so grateful. 
Have you ever thought about the story of us? See, the story of us is, is about these incredible opportunities that we have. And these opportunities that even come right now. Opportunities for us to not only hear the word of God, but to respond. And so that's why we talk about being generous in our relationships. We talk about being generous with our children and to love them and to invest in them. And you go, yeah, I get that. Generous to be rich in our forgiveness in our marriages so that they are firmly growing on the example of Jesus Christ. Loving one another like God has loved us. Forgiving one another like Christ has forgiven us. We have opportunities to think beyond ourselves. A number of years ago, we were trying to think, we were preaching through a giving series, and we thought, well, what can we do to just not take something for ourselves, but let's take something for somebody else? And our missionaries were going to Ethiopia, Jake and Aaron Moore. Remember them? They're coming back. Like this is, they're coming back. They've been there. They have served there. They're now coming back to the States after serving for a long time there. What we decided to do, you might not know this part of our story. What we decided to do was to look on their list of things that they need before that they go to Africa. And then we bought them all. And we had little kids. I'll never forget that Sunday. We had little kids just open up. Miss Julie, you brought them all. Little, the doors opened up and all these kids came with all these presents. And we just flooded the stage with, their present, with, the, with these presents for them. And Jake and Aaron cried. There was a couple that I only met one time. They were visiting that one Sunday. They walked up and they said, man, we wish we could be a part of this church. He wrote me a check that Sunday for like $1,200 to give to their ministry. Man, I would love to be a part of a church like this. This is the story of us. So hear me, it is. It's, it's marriages that are truly generous and families that are generous and, and business owners that become generous and, and, and workers who work hard and are incredibly generous. But then every once in a while, God does some incredible things and he puts convictions on the leadership here at the church. And so a few years after that, what we decided to do was we heard there was another church in town, not our church, but another church in town that was having a real hard time raising enough funds for their building. I like to now refer to them as Sunnybrook South. You know, cool thing is to have campuses everywhere. So I, a new way of doing campuses. And so we have a campus called Sunnybrook South. We told them that it was okay. We'd be more than glad to be called Mount Zion North. I had no idea. What we, we prayed about it. We talked about it for a number of weeks. At the end of the series, we took up an offering. I, I remember coming into, into the office that Monday morning thinking, oh, it might be around $10,000, which is a great offering, right? $46,000. That's the story of us. By the time we were done, because it kind of took momentum after that, you know what we gave? Almost $70,000 so that Mount Zion could continue to do ministry. I hear about that to this day. It's the story of us. We built a community center in Mexico. A hundred of us went down there and spent a week so that we could build this community center. We ended up, because of what we saw that was going on in Africa, the story of us, what we decided to do was we looked at what Jesus had done for us and we sponsored almost 200 AIDS-affected children. And, and by the way, there are churches that have done way more than that. It's not about us. It's not about the 200 or the 70,000. It is about us responding generously. Again, what I do not want to be a part of is a, is a group of very rich Christians who give money, have no interest but a group of followers of Jesus Christ who respond to what he has done by us giving. Anybody else want to be a part of that? 
Anybody like the story of us? This time I'm going to ask our servers to go back because another chapter of our story is about to be written. This is our check, babe. And I've had people like stop me all week long and in between services and say, hey, here, uh, I'm not going to be able to be there or I missed it. I was even looking for somebody, couldn't find them. Here it is. Like this is the story of us. We're not doing this out of guilt. We are doing this because we want to invest in others, because others have invested in us. We're doing this because we recognize that that guy on the bike has no idea. But the one who made him does. And I just want to be a part of that. You do know, like, a tide is coming in. And they just come in once. I know, you. yeah, another tide's going to come. Hey, I get it. Another tide is going to come. And you'll have enough, I promise you, If you stick around here long enough, you will have lots of opportunities to give. But this is your opportunity to make a difference in Osaka, Japan. This is that opportunity. And I pray for God's glory, all him, right? It's not about us. For God's glory, for the benefit of those in Japan who have no idea who he is. In the name of Jesus, I want to give you this. Servers, come, let me pray. God, I do ask you to take what we have and multiply it. That God, even if this is a financial problem that we could fix, I bet you we would really give anything, but it isn't a financial problem. It's a spiritual problem. And I just pray that you would help us to see that generosity is where it all begins. Thank you for Jesus, what he has done. And may you take this, these dollars, <laughs> And may you transform it into whatever you want. Thank you, God, for giving so generously to us. It is a privilege to share. In your name we give. Amen. So we've been asking what generosity says, but the beauty when the series concludes is that not what generosity says, I can do this, I promise. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Generosity has now, for God's glory, amen, through us, has it not spoken? Has it not spoken? If you would like to continue this conversation, and maybe you are really hearing or sensing like God moving in you or through you, I I pray that you would talk about that with someone. We would love to talk with you. If you have no idea why we gather to do this, we'd love to talk to you about the one that gave to you his only life so that you might spend eternity with him. We would love to continue that faith conversation. If you want to learn more about the story of us, we have a one-on-one class that's actually meeting today in in our hub, which is kind of off the gymnasium. Um, We would love to share with you more if you would like to be a part of a church that deeply loves Jesus and wants to make much of him. 
uh, to meet our staff and a few of our elders. We would love for you to come and be a part of that as well. We love you guys, uh, or we love, we love you a lot. We just love God more. Is that okay? We love God more. Have a great week. Go in God's generous spirit.